Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, October 8th, 2023. We've got another great show for you this week. We've got the Legal Eagles, David Levine, Kevin Walsh with Groom Law Group, and then Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network pops by. We're going to be breaking down all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. Well, it's time to kick off the show with a look at what's happening on Capitol Hill. And look, there's a lot of tumult going on. We're not going to talk about the politics, but we are going to talk about regulation, legislation, litigation, arbitration, a lot more. Joining us on the line, you know them as illegal legals, but they're also known as David Levine and Kevin Walsh. Both are principals with Groom Law Group. That is an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for stopping by the program this morning. Jeff, it's always good to be on the show. You know, as as football season gets into full swing uh, and the action in D.C. heats up, it's it's always exciting to uh, to talk to you and your listeners. Yeah, it's always interesting to see who gets sacked. All right, uh, David, I want to come to you because uh, I think there's an advisory opinion out. I think you you and Kevin wanted to both talk about it. So why don't you, why don't you take us down, uh, t- t- tell us a little bit about it. Thank you, Jeff. I'm happy to fill this blank space tying into our NFL and Taylor Swift theme this week. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, sorry, I couldn't resist, Jeff. Um, so, yeah, the Department of Labor, there's many different ways of of getting, I'll say, information, guidance, however you want to define it. There's The terms have can be terms of art, but the basic concept is you can go ask the Department of Labor, anybody can do this, to say there's an area of a law we would like some interpretation from. The Department of Labor does not have to give an interpretation, but sometimes they do. Uh, these are often called advisory opinions. Advisory opinions are, or, or sometimes referred to as AOs, uh, are something that used to be extremely common. They're less common than they used to be, but the Department of Labor does still do them. As everybody knows as the listeners, we've talked about the ups and downs, twists and turns of, I'll call it social aspects of the retirement place diversity, equity, and inclusion, environmental, social, and governance factors, all those different items. So what's news this weekend is the Department of Labor has issued a new advisory opinion relating to, in, in, in essence, a sort of DEI, almost like ESG type of concept of if a company has a program where the financial institution here it effectively covers the cost of investment managers out of corporate assets. Can the plan fiduciaries still take into account the the invest the managers that would be subsidized effectively by the company instead of paid out of the plan? And it's a very interesting advisory opinion because we have all this various litigation, as we know, over ESG. You know, DEI has been the subject of extensive litigation. You're seeing a whole movement after some more recent Supreme Court decisions where there's been challenges, for example, to law firm, law firm DEI programs. And this advisory opinion, consistent with I think the Biden administration's prior position, says, yes, 
as long as fiduciaries still act with their, I'll say their core fiduciary duties, they recognize that each decision day, the DOL recognizes in this advisory opinion that each decision is very factual and they don't at the DOL say, yes, picking a manager where the company may pay, cover some of their fees is automatically prudent. They don't say that and, and or violates the prohibited transaction rules. But the advisory opinion supports that, yes, you could take use these managers. And I think it just highlights that the, that the Biden administration, DOL, continues to move down the path, which they've been starting on, where they're saying, yes, you can take into account extrinsic factors that benefit a plan as long as you keep your core, I'll say, best interests of the participants and beneficiaries and their, and their financial returns. It's very interesting because if you pivot into the ESG world, in the ESG world, People say things yo-yo heavily between the Democratic and Republican administrations. We've debated that before, mm -hmm. but there are some out there who say that we're and and we had this in a recent decision down in Texas that say where a court actually said, "Look, yes, there's differences between Democratic and Republican administration, but the fundamental the fundamental principle of your duties towards participants and beneficiaries and protecting their assets and returns remains has remained consistent in guidance, and that's why they upheld." the Biden administration ESG guidance. So this just kind of follows on that type of concept where they anchor to your core duties, but say ancillary duties, as long as they don't take from the core duties, can be okay. What's the takeaway, the final takeaway on this plan sponsors? It, it highlights again, your underlying duties as a plan's fiduciary that about what, who your duty should be, your primary duties, but recognizing that other things can be circulating around and be positive. I've tried to be very neutral. I'm trying not to be political here, but mm -hmm. that's an example. Mr. Walsh, anything you'd like to add today? I mean, I just, I think it's a very interesting advisory opinion and folks are going to want to take a really close look at it. Um, you know, to me, the thing that I'm most interested in is, is where the department talks about financial factors because, you know, financial factors have been a hot spot in terms of, you know, ESG investing generally where, um, Plan fiduciaries are generally told to take into account things that are expected to have an economic impact on the you know risk and return of an investment. Um, and it looks like here, you know, while we still have to take a closer look, that if a third party is willing to pay the fee, um, you know that in some cases that might be a financial factor, and and that could be a very interesting development. Yeah, I agree I, with you, Kevin. Yeah, uh, gentlemen. I mean. Uh, Historically, are are there a lot of advisory opinions? Like I guess I just want to take back, st step back and and uh, th this is all mm -hmm. very interesting. But how 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 often is this form of guidance done? Not that but often it, at this point. Sorry, Kevin, go it, ahead. It comes in waves. You know, recently the most the most recent uh, advisory opinion I I believe was you know issued to Groom in twenty twenty. Um, and before that, I think it had been a couple of years before there'd been an advisory opinion. If you go back to the twenty, the early 2010s and before that, mm -hmm. uh, there were a handful of advisory opinions issued every year. But in recent years, it's it's been a much slower process. And and and, and Jeff, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Jeff can sorry, I have one more. Sorry, one more note. I was going to add in. What's interesting about this is there's a second piece that relates to the IRS in this situation. There, there is a long history of IRS authority about where an employer pays expenses. Is it a deemed contribution? Is it not? 
I haven't thought that through here, but that's a whole second layer on this because even when someone pays outside, regardless of the circumstances here, that sometimes comes up is, is that an additional contribution to the plan or is it deemed not to be? So there's all these different nuances to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I mean, I think it's just, it's just, Kevin, did you want to add one more thing? I did not. I think we've, we've, you know, we've beaten this one. We've talked about most of the key issues here. You know, it's a a brand new piece of guidance and I I think it's exciting seeing the, the law develop. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for stopping by. Look, I, I continue to learn from you, gentlemen. I think the audience does as well. We look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Thank you. Thanks for bringing us on, Jeff, and thank you, listeners. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you got to start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're going to change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back, and now it's time to break down markets. Joining us on the line, he's the lead anchor for the Schwab Network. I almost said the wrong network, Oliver. Oliver Uh Rennick of the Schwab Network. Did you hear that, Oliver? I almost said it, but I didn't. Perfect. How are you? (laughs) Doing well, sir. Yeah. Uh, short week for me after being in California for our market drive event, but it was a busy second half of the week, so plenty to talk about. All right. Well, before we get to that, tell us about the market drive event. What were some of the presentations, questions? I want to kind of ex- explain this to our audience and what you guys sure. kind of covered. Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. No, it was really good. Um, these are opportunities once uh, every quarter or so, roughly, to connect with the viewers and clients talk about what's happening in markets and this was based in santa clara so it was basically right in the heart of silicon valley and a bunch of uh traders and investors and uh, technicians and engineers and software programmers whose day job is very much tech connected but are also very engaged in markets it was a really rewarding experience to meet everybody and talk about really sort of how to approach markets when your wealth is very much tied to technology. And even though that is particularly a strong subject there, it really is something that most investors and people 
who have 401ks should generally be thinking about given the way the stock market skewed so powerfully asymmetrically towards technology that essentially everyone who's long stocks uh, has a lot of their wealth in their stock wealth tied to tech. So we talked about when and how to think about hedging that, when not to. And uh, a lot of that conversation is now uh, very timely because the economy continues to beat expectations. And that's generally a good thing. And we're going to figure out how the market responds to that as the picture is complicated, but should be significantly better than a year ago. Yeah, well, I, look, I'm a firm believer in getting out there and talking to real people, and I know you believe that oh, yeah, too because you're, you're always – when I say real people, everyone's a real person. But, but people, just average regular people who are just going about their lives but have a vested interest in improving their overall financial security and independence, and that's what we're about on the network. Yeah. I know that's what you guys talk 100%. about all the time on, on the Schwab network. All right, Oliver, I want to I dig into this jobs report because it has created a lot of tumult. Uh, or had you know the expectations versus the reality? Why don't you break it down for us? So first, the numbers, which were downright shocking, especially including a revision to the last figure of forty thousand. So that puts us at now two months in a row of over two hundred thousand non-farm payrolls added, and this week's uh, this month's print of three hundred thirty-six is just incredible. Uh, it fits very much into what I've described as the trampoline landing. That's the thesis I've been using now mm. for much of this year, which is basically instead of a hard landing and instead of soft landing, we get at least one good bounce as we discovered that some of the stimulative effects of COVID and the past year of continued fiscal spending are helping support the economy. And also some credit due uh, absolutely to the Fed for being able to navigate a pretty nasty storm and uh, inflation coming down, still quite high, still elevated, still problematic, but coming down without destroying the economy in a way that most felt was unavoidable. So that's really the point that this jobs number hammers home. I mean, to print back-to-back numbers like this, our jobless claims were also still solid this week, and our services data are still in expansionary mode, very firm. Even the non-services activity in the U.S. is also very firm. So it is just continuing to shock pretty much everyone's framework for what the economy should look like right now. And my focus has been in uh, discerning the bond market's interpretation of all this. So I can get into some detail there, but the short answer is basically we should all be rooting for better than expected economic outcomes. The stock market has not quite demonstrated that it wants better than expected outcomes. Much of the rally the past year still was tied to the notion of a slowing economy and a supportive Fed and very high stock valuations. So because those valuations got so high, it's not obvious that these good economic data will translate into good stock gains. But my analysis of the bond market does suggest that it should be a better environment for stocks than it was a year ago. Well, I want to know who's betting against the U.S. economy because I don't think anybody who, who really cares about this country is going to be, get bet against the U.S. economy. Maybe there are some foreign investors or maybe people who 
maybe just want to take the other side of a trade. Oliver, let's talk about the bond market. You brought it up. Something we talked yep. about with Jane King over at the NASDAQ on on, on Saturday morning's program um, kind of got ripped into a little bit uh, recently. And, 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 and also I want you to bring in the U.S. Treasuries because that's an important component of that fixed of income conversation. Yeah, and that's really all I'm focusing on because the corporate bond part of the fixed income market is very um, – placid right now uh it is just calm shows no sign of recessionary risk and very calm so if we focus on treasuries that's where of course the action is um there's a few important things to know which is that yields are going higher number one because of that trampoline landing and the bounce back we're getting in the economy but yields are going higher in a very different fashion than they were a year ago a year ago and, I, and just throughout all of basically 2022, the bear market for stocks, yields were going higher on both the short and the long end because the Fed was basically forcing them by hiking very aggressively. And so the short end was moving much faster than the long end, and that was creating yield curve inversion. Historically, since 1970, the bond market analysis that most uh, watch with a fair amount of credulity and appreciation is that the yield curve inverts ahead of a recession and then uninverts as the recession takes hold because the Fed is forced to cut. So with that said, coming into this year, after last year's inversion, the expectation was that the Fed was going to have to cut. This became especially apparent during the regional bank flare-up in the spring and markets started pricing in Fed cuts. The yield curve then started to steepen by way of bull steepening, which means yields were going down, but the curve was steepening because the short end was going down very quickly on the basis of rate cuts. Fast forward seven months, there are no rate cuts because our economy has proven stronger than expected. Instead, rate cuts are getting priced out but so are rate hikes. This is basically the higher for longer regime that we're settling into right now. And it's creating a type of bond yield curve that is very different than what we had last year. It's actually the opposite. So even though yields are going up on the long end, which is catching everyone's attention, under the surface, it's a completely different message. And if you look back over the last roughly 50 years, you don't yield curve steepen the way we are right now, which is called a bear steepener, into recessions. You maybe get moments of bear steepeners, which means long bonds are selling off faster than short bonds. So the long yields are rising more quickly than the short end. That's creating this bear steepening. That is not what happens in the recession. There might be moments of it, but ultimately what happens before recession is we go back to flatteners and inversions of curves because the Fed has to cut to save the economy. So right now, the bond market is sending a very unusual and very encouraging message about our potential to rebound out of a flirtation with recession in the last year. So what that means for stocks is still to be determined, but in theory, it should be a better environment for stocks than it was last year, but I'm still not convinced it should be a great one because yields going higher in general should eat away 
at the most expensive valuations out there. So Oliver, that begs the question, the Fed, and, and I want to go back to just tying it all together um, in that the first question about the job market, the job job market producing nearly double what's expected, not not exactly, but but close to it. Do does the market expect, or do we expect as investors to see one more interest rate hike this year? Well, that's that's where stocks are finding quite a bit of confidence today because the odds of a hike did go up, but they are still below. 50%. It's roughly at 40% right now. Mm-hmm. So it's a very good question to bring it home because if the Fed does end up hiking again this year, you're more likely to see yield curve inversion and flattening again, which is what stocks really, really hate. So right now, the market is trying to interpret the bond market sell-off as a good thing, and it probably is. But there's not a lot of history behind it, and there is uh, still a possibility the Fed might have to act to fight inflation. So we're by no means out of the woods, but the message should be that the economy is much more resilient than everybody thought. And at the end of the day, that is a good thing, regardless whether or not it leads to higher stock prices in the immediate term. Well, folks, you can catch them on the Schwab Network. That's located at schwabnetwork.com. But you know what? It's also available on the go in platform and online. Oliver Rennick, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for stopping by the program. So succinct, great analysis. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to? Then drop us a line and don't forget for all the latest curated news in lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRNAM of a very special guest. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.